what do presidents need to know about the billion dollar media landscape that now sits in front of us in college sports? Well, today's podcast is gonna look at that very topic. With the Big Ten Conference signing a brand new media rights contract worth $1.23 billion annually, all of college sports has taken notice. Exceeding the NCAA's March Madness contract, the Big Ten will soon deliver between 70 and $100 million a year to every school in the conference. It's a staggering number and has positioned the conference as one of the top two in all of Division I sports. I'm Karen Weaver and welcome to the podcast. My guest today is former Fox Sports president and CEO of Thompson Sports Group, Bob Thompson. Bob and I first spoke when I was researching the formation and the financial structures behind the Big Ten Network for my dissertation from the University of Pennsylvania. He was a wealth of information then, and that this conversation extends that discussion to where we are today. Bob is considered one of the most knowledgeable authorities in the sports television industry. During his more than 25 years at Liberty and Fox Sports, Bob negotiated more than 200 television rights agreements with professional sports teams, leagues, and collegiate conferences, and has been directly involved in the launch of 18 regional and national cable networks. Presidents must understand this enormously influential landscape. While you may bring in consultants and lawyers to help you navigate the details, having a fundamental appreciation of how this world is changing and where your school sits in the pecking order is crucial in how you approach the outsized expectations of your coaches, alumni, and boosters. One of the key points in our conversation comes near the end. We talk about the issues surrounding data and data acquisition by media companies. Presidents should understand all the innovative and some would argue intrusive data gathering techniques that add the true financial heft to these contracts. While it may seem secondary when you sign the contract, as gambling becomes more ingrained in our ecosystem, this will create the need for serious ethical conversations about who owns the student athlete's personal data. Hey, Bob, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad that you were able to join me. My pleasure, Karen. Very happy to be here. Uh, you, you and I spoke more than a decade ago as you were kind enough to be a key resource for my dissertation on the launch of the Big Ten Network, which happened in 2007, gosh, 15 years ago now. For folks who are not media experts like you or media finance geeks like me, give us a sense of where we are in 2022 with the explosion of college sports on TV. It's not been that long ago that we could count on a few games, mostly football and men's basketball every weekend, but now that's changed. Yeah, it's definitely changed since you and I talked and, and certainly changed since, you know, say 2010, 2015. I think part of the change that's being driven by this technology and how the linear broadcast networks and the linear cable networks that historically have been available as part of a cable TV bundle or a satellite bundle um, have taken some hits. And you've gone from, you know, having maybe 100 million homes in the cable slash satellite universe down to, you know, 65 million homes, I think is the last number I saw. And so you got a lot of cord cutting going on. That's what we call people who, who were, who were subscribers and then decided to cut the cord. And, and then you've got a lot of what we call nevers. And those are people who have never subscribed to either satellite or cable. And they are relying heavily on, you know, either over the air television free through an antenna or through um, a streaming service, a la 
Netflix, Amazon Prime, Apple TV Plus, those type of things. And so as the cable numbers and satellite numbers have decreased, um, the streamers have just gone into the world mostly of live or not live, non-live scripted type programming. Um, uh, think uh, sitcoms, think movies of the week, think episodic series, things like that. And all you have to do to realize that, how powerful they are in that space, is look at what the nominations are for this year's Emmy Awards. It's totally dominated by the, the streaming services. Hmm. So what that leads to for the broadcast networks and the linear cable networks that are left is trying to aggregate audiences, primarily using you know, live sports and news. Uh, obviously, for the cable sports networks like ESPN, Fox Sports One, that's their lifeblood. That's what they live on. So obviously, they're going to continue to purchase those rights. But you've seen the broadcast networks really get back in or more significantly into the uh, collegiate sports world because it has proven to be a you know very tried and true way of aggregating a uh, large audience uh, at any given time. So you know that's been the big change and that's why i think what you've seen with the current big 10 deal that just went down last week where you've got three broadcast networks uh involved and it's really a uh, i call it an nfl model uh in that you have you know the fox game then the cbs game and then the nbc game it, it looks like a sunday you know it looks like a sunday with the nfl um and i think that's you know was what kevin warren was was looking for and he certainly achieved it I mean, certainly the cable side of things is still going to be represented with Fox Sports One games. And, you know, maybe NBC has some on USA Network. There's a streaming element with Peacock. So I think he touched all the bases. I think the big surprise for that deal is that ESPN's out after so many years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and just, uh, again, as a refresher for my audience, linear is traditionally meant uh, the, the, the main four channels, we go way back to CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox, but also what's bundled on your cable network or your satellite network. Streaming is considered anything that comes through the World Wide Web. Is that correct? Um, yeah, it's more or less. You can get bundles through the, through the web. Um, the, probably the easiest way to distinguish the two is uh, with linear networks, you know, the network decides what you watch. Okay. With the streaming service, you go to some, you know, app page or home page, and then you kind of click through and decide what you want to watch. Um, the, the, the linear networks offer some flexibility in that if you have a DVR, uh, you can time, you know, record it and time shift it as you wish. But basically the difference is, you know, me being the programmer versus the person sitting in the lounge chair at home being the programmer. And 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 just to dive just a little bit deeper, that's fundamentally uh, a shift in demographics because it, obviously Gen Z millennials are more inclined to want to watch it when they want to watch it on demand on any device. Older folks, perhaps like me, are more used to you know searching for our content and waiting for it to come on. Does that seem fair? Absolutely. I mean, the streaming services tend to skew a little younger. Um, although, you know, they had the first Amazon Prime game last Thursday and supposedly the average age was about 50, which or 51, which isn't that far from your NFL's normal, normal average age. It might be a little deceiving because uh, a lot of the viewership was delivered by the two home markets or the two participating team markets. About half of the half of a million viewers came from uh, Houston and San Francisco markets where it was on over the air television. 
but I think that, and also Amazon Prime is kind of a different model than most streamers as it's a, you don't buy it just for Amazon Prime. You're buying a Prime membership, which gets you the two-day shipping and, and all those type of things. Um, so it's not a typical streamer that, you know, you look at for a millennial or a Gen Z or those type of people uh, that they would have as their sole um, sole streaming service. Because, you know, I, I've got a 30-year-old son and, you know, he doesn't even know what shipping means, you know, <laughs> so Amazon prime is worthless to him. So, yeah, yeah. uh, and I don't think he'd buy it just for the, just for a few football games, but yeah, the streamers tend to, to skew younger and it's important for the net colleges and conferences to remember that because that's going to be their future viewers, uh, at some point, um, you have to touch all your different audiences. And if that means, broadcast, if that means cable, if that means streaming, it is a, an old adage, you have to fish where the fish are. And you've got to go to, to all of those ponds to hit all those different viewership um, types. I think that's really important information for presidents to understand because they're not only dealing with you know current students, but they're dealing with alumni and alumni right. that are all over the country. So a lot of these deals are designed to try to, try to reach the largest possible demographic market because one of the things that Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, cited was the fact that his alumni are all over the place. He has a significant amount of alumni on the West Coast, and that was attractive, one of the attractive reasons for adding USC and UCLA. Absolutely. I think, you know, with any conference, um, uh, you know, the Midwest, pretty much anyone, you're going to, the bulk of your uh, alumni are going to, you know, they may go to school in those places, but then they go to New York, Chicago, and LA, just like, <laughs> like, like most people do. But I think for Kevin, it was very smart was, you know, A, the NFL model, B, he's, you know, got some good dollars, obviously, uh, you're going to have plenty of windows for football and basketball. And then C, he's got the peacock element. So he's going to have some events on a streaming service and exclusively on a streaming service. So it kind of conditions his viewership and condition, conditions the fans of the Big Ten that you know this, this is a way you have to learn to consume our product going forward because we're going to use it. Not unlike when they first launched the Big Ten Network back in 2007. You know, it was kind of a new new place. You know, you don't get local syndication packages anymore. Um, you, it's, you know, you don't find it here on your cable channel. You might have to go up to the 600s to find it, but it's going to be there, yeah, certainly within the conference's footprint. And I think they're doing the th same thing with streaming. Are you going to put your top tier packages on there? Absolutely not. But because still, you know, exposure and, and uh, giving the programming out to as absolutely many people as possible, and the reach is still very important, but you also have to dip your toes into the streaming services so that as technology potentially changes, you, you know, you have some experience and your, and your viewers have some experience with it as well. That makes sense. So I, I do want to have you talk a little bit about tiers and we've heard a mm -hmm. lot about tier one, but what does it mean to have a tier one, a tier two and a tier three media rights package? Right. Um, <clears throat> normally tier one is, is what's reserved for the, top level picks in both football and basketball. Um, you know, some it's, it's what you, it, it, it brings in your highest price, right? And that might be shared amongst a couple of people. For instance, right now, uh, the big 12, the tier one rights are shared with 
Fox and ESPN, same with the Pac-12 and, and even the Big Ten right now. Um, SEC shares tier one football rights with um, ESPN and CBS. So there's usually two people involved, two players. You know, maybe it's a broadcast network and a cable network. Maybe it's two cable networks. Maybe it's two broadcast networks. It really just depends on the conference and how they structure their deal. Tier two would be the next level. And that's the, you know, not the top games, but maybe, you know, the C and D games any given weekend that uh, normally would appear on a, a cable network uh, of some sorts. Um, tier three is pretty much everything else. So, you know, Olympic sports, um, non-conference football, non-conference uh, basketball, some regular season basketball, the bulk of the women's basketball. And that's what's used to populate channels such as the SEC network, the Big Ten network, ACC network, Pac-12 networks, ESPN Plus, uh, those types of things. That's kind of considered the tier three. It used to be what the schools more or less controlled themselves and would usually be able to market within some specified geographic area, usually the state they were located in. They could they could uh, syndicate those rights. Uh, coaches shows usually went in those packages, things like that. So that's the third tier, and that's the the least valuable in the in the pecking order, but still important. And you know, the, some nice businesses have been put together out of those tier three rights because it's still valuable to the conferences, and it's still. Uh, uh, intriguing and appealing to the viewers. It is. And and I remember having a conversation with Mark Silverman way back in the day, uh, asking about how they were going to make money off the field hockeys and the volleyballs and that type of thing. He says, we're simply going to aggregate viewers and try to look at them collectively uh, and see what we have. And do you feel like that's a similar strategy for the tier three rights? We're just trying to get as many viewers as possible. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's, there's, an audience for everything. It yeah. might not be large, but if you then, but you get to a point that you can aggregate them together and create a big enough audience, that's something that's sellable. The question becomes, how do you produce those events right. uh, without killing your bottom line? And I think the Big Ten Network and, and a lot of the collegiate networks have been very, very um, forward thinking with their production. I know that one of the initial things we did at the Big Ten Network which was a huge hit and, and continues to this day is we, you know, on certain events at a certain level, we would utilize student talent okay. uh, to produce the games, to call the games, to transmit the games back to, back to Chicago where we, we send them out. And it was, you know, some of it wasn't the greatest TV in the world, but it was a tremendous okay. learning experience for, Absolutely. for the students. Yeah. And a lot of them have gone on to, to stay in the business. Um, so I think the program uh, that we came up with, the kind of the student U or student U productions or whatever it was called, I can't remember, um, it turned out to be great. And it also creates uh, the ability to cover some of these events at, uh, you know, prices where you don't have to roll a, you know, 48 foot production truck in there. It's, you know, it's some kids with some handheld cams and things like that. And, it, and you know, it, it provides good coverage that you wouldn't otherwise get on uh, those tier three type of rights. 
Yeah, I, I really uh, want to emphasize that the, the evolving change in technology that allows you to do things much more simply and cost effective. I remember the first year I called uh, Field Hockey Color for the Big Ten Network. I, there was that production truck in the parking mm -hmm. lot. I'm like, what is this doing here for field hockey? This doesn't make sense. <laughs> so Yeah, we um, found out another way, though. Yes. <laughs> That's good because the cost would, you know, first of all, there's not enough trucks. And secondly, the cost right. would have eaten you alive. And so exactly. with, the, with the advances in the Internet and the ability to produce stuff in the cloud and, and you know, ship it around uh, IP-based Type technology, it, it makes it so much more easier than it used to be. So let's talk money a little bit. When a Fox okay. a network like Fox makes a value determination on how much they are willing to pay a conference like the Big Ten or the Pac-12 or maybe even the Big 12, what factors go into that? What should presidents be looking for on the list of things they should be covering? You know, our list isn't significantly different than the list that a conference may look at if they're considering realignment. Um, you know, ours more or less starts with numbers. How many households are in the, the, the markets? How many households are in the state that this, the institution is located in? Because most of these, you know, a lot of these college towns are small, small town. Uh, they're not, you know, top 25 DMAs. So we look, you know, beyond just the um, conferences, home city. Then we also look at things such as uh, rivalries. Uh, with either within the conference that they currently have uh, or what other rivalries they might have outside of the conference. And should we own the rights to that other conference? You know, what kind of games can we put together between two, two rivals in different conferences, say Texas and Texas A&M, that type of a situation, different conferences, but, you know, they, they are going to start playing each other again, which I think is great. So um, we look at those things. We, we look at certainly brand awareness. You know, how does the brand resonate across the country? Uh, we look at what the fan or the fan appeal, you know, the following of the of the institution. Um, you know, success in both football and basketball. You know, normally the football gets all the all the uh, credit for these deals, but you know, in my mind, basketball was always worth twenty to twenty-five percent of the total value. Um, it doesn't; the the numbers don't click quite as much as football does. But the bulk of the games play at the time of year where networks need product. Uh, I think January, February, no football, baseball hasn't started. Got some, you know, you've got <clears throat> hockey and uh, NBA. But other than that, it's it's a you know, and they play multiple nights. So it's a, it's a tonnage factor. It provides a lot of programming and especially for a 24 hour day, seven day a week cable network, it's, you know, they, they never quit eating and you have to continue <laughs> to feed them. So, yeah, um, you know, we look for that type of thing, you know, even, even, uh, you know, as we've had to take on the responsibility more and more, either through a network or a conference channel or through our own cable networks, you know, we, we look at the, Olympic sports, you know, do we pay a lot for them? No, but if it's got a good broad based, um, fall, you know, success in Olympic sports, um, be it the PAC 12 conference of champions or the fact that Ohio state fields like 38 different teams, uh, in, in the big 10, those are important. You know, I used to follow the Learfield cup, you know, which was basically everything outside of football and basketball and how, how schools performed within that and being a top 10 in the Learfield cup was important to us. It, you know, there is some value there. So 
those are the things you know we look at. I think certainly if a conference was looking at maybe adding members, you know they probably get a little more into the cultural fit. Um, you know, how's the geography match up? You know those type of things, which ah, uh, you know that's 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 for the, the conferences and the schools to figure out. I don't get into that kind of thing, but it I know it's important to them, um, but it's not quite as important to to the to the broadcast or cable networks. So what are some of the other little details that presidents uh, might want to consider? For example, a big deal is made out of, uh, you know, tonight Purdue and Penn State are playing on a Thursday night. There was a week zero game last week in Dublin. Uh, These are kind of oddities off the traditional, we play Saturdays and that type of thing. Should presidents be aware of who controls when games are played? I know times are always shifted, but even on days of the week, is that because they, there's a lot of pushback about missed classes and, and that type of thing? Right. I, you know, and I can understand that. I mean, we uh, for years had the the Pac-12 and and were kind of the ones that came up with the 7:30 kickoff times on the Pacific Coast, which wouldn't seem to make sense uh, for the East Coast. But that's not what we were worried about. <laughs> we were we were programming to the West Coast at that time, and if you're a sports network the viewers expect to wake up at nine o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, you know, more or less and, and be able to see college programming. And that does until you go to bed. And that doesn't matter if that's on the West coast or the East coast. So it's important, I think for the, the schools to understand that, you know, we don't like moving people around to odd times and odd days any more than anybody else does. But a couple of things, number one is, you know, when you play in those, unusual windows, usually the competition is significantly less. Um, There's not as, you know, on a Saturday, you're going up against, you know, at least three other games at any given time. On Thursday night, you know, there's a few more Thursday night games this year than there has been in the last few years because, uh, you know, colleges and the networks kind of uh, took Thursday nights off off the calendar because NFL was playing on Thursday nights. Now that the NFL is on Amazon Prime, uh, the, bright, the, ne- the networks are going back up against the NFL on Thursday night. And so you, this year you see some SEC games, ACC games, you know, all the conferences of the, of the Power Five and even some of the, the G5 have Thursday night games. So I think that's important. Uh, special date games, you know, Black Friday, Labor Day, um, Thanksgiving Day, things like that are important as well, because it's not in, in many cases, it's not possible for the networks to air all the games they have on a Saturday. They just don't have enough outlets. And so, you know, rather than warehouse rights, which nobody likes, where and, and, and warehousing of rights is when you own the rights to a game, but but nobody produces it. It just sits there and the game right. gets played and nobody can watch it. And that, you know, nobody, nobody likes to see that. So to be able to, you know, isolate a Thursday. Uh, a Friday, you know, those type of things. It's important for the networks and to to have some of that flexibility. We, the networks try and be as gracious and as accommodating as possible in that normally those games are picked up front in the beginning of the year so that there's not any uh, 12-day or six-day selections that change the time starts significantly. There's going to be some some changes during the season, but they try and keep those to a minimum. Do presidents have any uh, ability to negotiate? I'd rather have this on 
Fox Sports 1 versus Fox Sports 2, you know, those kinds of network decisions? Usually that's pretty well laid out in the, um, in the agreement between the conference and the network, and that there's X number of appearances on the broadcast network minimum, and, you know, and the rest kind of of the total number of windows flows over to what could be on the cable. It doesn't mean there can't be more on the broadcast than the minimum number, but most times there's there are some numbers set, and there also can be appearance numbers. Uh, a certain team can only appear X number of times. Uh, every team must appear at least X number of times, so kind of the flip side of, of too many appearances. You, you want to make sure everybody has appearances. So there, there is some say, um, but look, you know, we're, we're, television is your friend. You know, <laughs> we want this to work for you guys just yeah, as much yeah. as it does for yeah. us. And I understand, and I had a lot of conversations with people over the years about, you know, the inconveniences that it causes for, you know, not only the players uh, who, have, who might have to travel, but for fans who have to, you know, change their whole Saturday around for the business owners in the local communities. I mean, we, we understand that there's a huge ripple effect, believe me. And it's something that we don't take lightly. But, you know, in order for the value to be received that that the networks are, you know, shelling out, um, there has to be some flexibility as it relates to start times and end days. That makes sense. So, so I have to go back and talk about the Nebraska Northwestern game in mm -hmm. Dublin, Ireland this past uh, weekend, you know, it was week zero among many notable off the field activities, not to forget about the free beer that was due be to no internet in the concession area for several quarters. I think it seemed to be, it struck me as the entire event was a three hour plus commercial to boost tourism to Ireland, the whole broadcast seemed very focused on driving fans, alumni, local CEOs, and et cetera, to go abroad. How does that work with the network? It seemed very different in my estimation. Yeah, that's a, you know, it's a, it's a made game, we call it, you know, somebody, there's a, a promoter uh, in, in um, Ireland that, that kind of puts that together. They would go to you know, the conference and figure out, you know, which teams can we get to come over for this weekend, you know, for that, that, that special game. And then the promoter will pretty much sell it out. And, you know, I watched a good portion of that game and it was, you know, certainly uh, Ireland tourism, you know, uh, Aer Lingus, which is the, was also the title sponsor of the game, you know, uh, very, very important to uh, Ireland as, um, you know, tourism mechanism, you know, people who can deliver the tourists over to, to Ireland. And so that part was very important. And so what they'll do is, you know, they'll, they'll pay the network a certain fee uh, at, to, you know, accommodate all the advertisers uh, that the promoter might be bringing to the game. So it has kind of a little different look than a normal game would, but it's still, you know, it's, it's, important i think it's you know the nfl has had that model for years so has major league baseball they play they play games uh outside of the country and nhl does you know nba goes to china so it's important to kind of spread it around and it, it takes a you know willing promoter in the home country where it is to help pull this thing off because the network's you know they don't have the setup to do that and so you know i'm sure it was one of those scenarios where they you know, went to the conference and, you know, it was a, a good 
good first step. There's been other games over there over the years. I remember, a, I think it was a Navy something game in, in uh, I think it was in Ireland years and years ago, 2005 or six or something like that. But it's important. And, and I think, you know, you think this year was good. And there was a lot of people there, quite a few people. You know, Notre Dame's going there next year is my understanding. Right. <laughs> so it's going to be, uh, you know, it'll probably be, probably twice as many, you know, yeah. people flying in, um, as have, have in the past. And, you know, it turned out great. They had uh, fantastic activities all week long. Uh, the stadium looked good, you know, it's a soccer stadium, but it still works for football. Um, you know, free beer, it doesn't hurt. Um, <laughs> I, you know, they had great activities all week long for the, the people who were there and, you know, Dublin's a great city and, and I'm sure the people of Dublin just absolutely loved the atmosphere and loved having the fo folks in town. So is that negotiated with the with the Big Ten Fox agreement that it currently exists? Was that something that was counted towards the number of games or is that something completely separate? I would assume that's one of Fox's games okay. um, for the year, um, but they have they have plenty more. So, and, you yeah. know, it, it did a great number. I mean, it, it had like four, four and a half million viewers, which was significantly higher than past year. You know, the week zero games are always a little sketchy. You, you never know what you're going to get. And, it's, uh, and it, it just comes down to the matchups. And, those, you know, certainly Nebraska has a, a strong national following. Northwestern, not so much, but it was a great game. Was you great. know, Northwestern coming from behind to win. And, and then on top of that, I think the, you know, it was, it was good TV. You know, it looked good. And um, Fox had, you know, one of their top announced crews there. And so it seemed like a real, you know, college game, not just some add-on week zero game. I agree with you. I, and I'm not in your position, but I, I thought it was very entertaining and very notable because of all of those things that you you mentioned. So now let's take a little bit of a different look outside of the, the Power Five and, and talk about this tipping point that I think we're at with two legitimate super conferences who could possibly add more teams if the markets are right. But in all seriousness, I worry about the rest of Division One. those football programs not in these conferences, those who focus primarily on basketball, and those without football at all. Where do you think NCAA and Division One are going? You know, I, I think that certainly we have a situation now where you have uh, two major conferences when, when it comes to, to football because of just the, the differences in the, the television deals, which are going to be you know, in the foreseeable future, as well as probably beyond. And that's the SEC and the Big Ten. Uh, whether they expand from here, I, I don't know. Uh, that's something that we'll have to see. I think if the Big 12 and the Pac-12 can get some sort of reasonable deals with Fox and or ESPN, that they can continue to uh, compete in Division One football. ACC is kind of set with ESPN for till 2036, something along those lines. I think what they have to do, though, is they have to, you know, have an expectation level that they're not going to get paid as much as the SEC and the Big Ten. That doesn't mean they can't compete. You know, you can be very creative and you can be, um, you know, very competitive without all that money. I think it's very important for you to have reasonable expectation levels. But I also always think that there's a way to, you know, continually enhance your programs, get creative marketing wise, more sponsorships, things like that, that can add to whatever you get from television. I don't think that the, it makes sense for a lot of schools to move into these conferences. I mean, if you're, if you're in the PAC 12, soon to be PAC 10, 
and you are, you know, you're a good program, but when you go over to the big 10, you're maybe not quite as good as you think you are. Um, you know, and I've seen a lot of schools move conferences and it hasn't been a good result. I mean, if you look at how Nebraska used to dominate the big eight, big 12, they're not doing that in the Big Ten. And AM isn't dominating the SEC. And Missouri's certainly not dominating the SEC. Colorado hasn't done all that well in the Pac 12. So sometimes you're better off where you're at. You yeah. know, you, you, you play to that level of, and, and you can be competitive. Would you rather be 10 and one in a Pac 10 and get less money, or six and six, or six and five, or whatever in the Big Ten and qualify for a lesser bowl? Whereas in the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever it ends up to be, you win the title for the conference, you're probably in the, an expanded college football playoff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what would you rather do? And that's why I think it's important for college football in general to be strong across the country. Yeah. Uh, that's from the East Coast to the West Coast. Because if we have an expanded college football playoff, which it looks, looks like we're going to, and it goes to 12 teams or 16 teams, college football has to matter across the country. You can't fill a 12 or 16 team playoff with just people out of the Big Ten and the SEC. There needs to be um, interest across the country. And I really think that the networks know that. I think the conferences understand that, that if you are in one of these lesser conferences in terms of television dollars, as long as they have a clear path to participate in a collegiate championship tournament playoff, then I think they can still be successful. And I think that's good for football. I mean, it creates the networks know that the networks know that, you know, if you had an NFL uh, playoff schedule that only had, you know, the NFC North and, and, and the NFC Southwest and, you know, just the middle of the country, nobody on the East Coast, the West Coast is going to care. They don't want to watch right. it. You know, you have to have some drama for them to, uh, you know, A, follow their teams during the regular season to make sure they're going to see if they get in. And then B, once they get in, how's it go? And then you always want to see, like, if you get beaten you want to see how the team that beats you does going forward so it kind of feeds off itself and that's what's been so so helpful for you know the professional playoffs uh with, regardless of the league is that that interest maintains in its interest across the country doing that with college football is going to be very important one of the problems you know with the the four team you know the plus one format whatever you want to call it is that, you know, there hasn't been, you know, there hasn't been anybody on the West Coast in for several years. And so it kind of becomes a, bleh, you know, it's no big deal, you know. And now it's huge in the Southeast and, and, and the Midwest because they have always had representation. And the ACC has done well over the years with Clemson and things like that. But it's really got to touch the whole country. It can't just be down the center, which is why I think it's important for these other conferences to continue when you talk about the basketball only, that's a, that's a whole different, you know, discussion. I think, you know, it's, uh, you, you strip out football, then, you know, you're talking about, a, it's a whole different economic model. And I think that the, the, uh, a number of the basketball only conferences, big East, a 10, you know, I, I'm not sure who all is just basketball only these days, but they do fine, you know, and, and they, they get, they get a number of teams into the tournament because they, they're sticking to what they know. And they've realized early on that football's not 
you know, it's, it's not, a, it's not the game they want to play. And so they concentrate on basketball and they, they tend to do it very well. And it's, you know, it fits, you know, it fits their model, which is, you know, don't, don't, don't fight above your weight, as they say. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's important for, that's important, not, not just for division one, but division two, you know, all of the conference, you know, all the different levels of collegiate sports, um, you know, find where you belong and then embrace it and try and succeed in that place, as opposed to always, you know, eyeing the next level up because, you know, sometimes the grass isn't always greener. I think that's really good advice for presidents because I see a number of schools in the last 10 to 12 years who have left division two and gone to division one aspirations that they can get there. The old thing was, can you get your name on the ticker on the bottom of ESPN or can you mm -hmm. somehow elevate your profile so you have a better standing with your in-state students? But again, I, I also think about those football conferences like the American Athletic Conference, the Sunbelt Conference USA that are clearly being left financially behind. So where do you think they fit in, in this whole model? Well, they, you know, I think that there's going to be some sort of path for them to be in an expanded playoff. And, you know, you you, you know, Cincinnati got in and, and played well. And some other schools have, have snuck in. I think an expanded playoff is only going to help them, uh, you know, get some more, you know, from a revenue standpoint, they're challenged. There's no doubt. But I think one of the things that, that they can take advantage is of some of these new technologies out there, you know, the streaming models and things like that, that, you know, maybe they're not as valuable to ESPN and, and uh, Fox, but they could be very valuable to Apple TV plus or, or Amazon prime or Netflix or, or whoever. So I think you have to, you know, again, get creative and figure out what the best model is for you. I think some of the streaming services, you know, been kind of, you know, they've been involved in some of the discussions and may, in many cases, may have offered more money than some of the people who got the actual deals. Um, but I think it's, it won't deter them. But I think the streaming services need to maybe start with a smaller, um, a, a, a smaller deal in mind. And that is, you know, you're not going to get a top pick in the big 10. Okay. Well, maybe you can own the entire conference in the entire Sunbelt conference, you know, so they might need to reassess how they're entering the market and kind of learn to walk before they start running, show people that they can, you know, handle these packages, do the productions, get them distributed, have some level of viewership and, and, you know, along the way, write some decent checks, you know, for that privilege to the, you know, member schools of those smaller conferences. Yeah. And I don't think they truly understand also how much work they're going to have to, the heavy lifting they're going to have to do themselves to build out the infrastructure on campus, to develop right. the, the student right. U kind of idea and, right. and, and to create uh, the technology that needs to exist. Um, that's an important, uh, important part of this. I think presidents should pay attention to, I have, I have two more questions, one more serious and one kind of fun. So I'll start okay. with the serious one. Where does data collection fit in all this? Are our networks collecting data on the, the viewers? And uh, we saw obviously what Amazon prime did with the average age being 51, but we don't know if that was for the owner of the Amazon prime account or if it was, the demo. <laughs> right. But, right. Data is a really important part of this. Where does this fit in? What should presidents know about that? 
Well, data is very important, obviously, to the networks because that's what the and, and data demographics, you know, viewership levels, all those things are important because that's what we we sell advertising based on. And then the other thing is for the um, it's important to show to say cable operators, satellite distributors that people are watching this service and you should continue to pay us this X sub per month fee that we do. The other the other flip side to, to the whole data thing is, and, you know, it's, it's about the sports betting. And, you know, I know comp, some conferences have waded into this, uh, the broadcasts, you know, most of the networks have the cable networks as well. And that is, you know, there's more and more gambling comes online. And I know it's not, not always a, a, a phrase spoken in, in, you know, amateur sports, but people are going to bet on it and you might as well get used to it. So the, the, all the sports books, the apps, all those people, they, they, they thrive on that kind of data right. and it's, it's valuable and it's sellable by a conference to some third party. I know the PAC 12 has entered into some agreements. Uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly how many states are, are, have legalized gambling. I know Kansas started today, just in time for this hmm. weekend's college footballs. So it's becoming more and more important. And a lot of that stuff is, is data-driven. The networks like it because so, it, you know, it keeps people engaged. You know, a lot of people don't just sit on the TV and watch the game. They've got their phone going, they've got their laptop going, they've got all this stuff going. And so you can create secondary feeds or, you know, pullback feeds where the game is only in say two thirds of the screen and the other one third at the bottom and the side is just jam full of, of data right. and either on that game or another game that might be happening that week. One of the interesting things I want to see that Amazon is going to do, and I don't think they've quite done it yet is, um, you know, they're going to embed you know, some of these Amazon web services chips into players. And they're going to be able to say, okay, this guy ran this fast, or this guy, you know, was faster than a speeding train or whatever. And then also measure things like hits, you know, right now you'll see it on the, on the, in baseball a lot where uh, speed off the bat, how far the home run went, things like that. They, and they get it instantaneously. And so, you know, that's the kind of stuff that it, it brings in a different, slightly different kind of viewer, but it's important because in that case, it's probably an incremental viewer that you otherwise wouldn't have. And I, so that the, everything around data these days is, is extremely important. And I think it's in an effort to make a better overall presentation for the network and also to appeal to people who might be interested in other things than just watching the game, such as gambling, the science aspect of the game, things like that. Right, right. Right. And that, of course, brings up a whole nother discussion about athletes' ability to share that data. You know, professional athletes can collectively bargain for it, but the college right. athletes at this point don't have that. So that's something that's another... going to have to be dealt with. I know. I know. That yeah. is definitely for another podcast. My last question is this. You just joined Twitter. I think it was in June. Right. First, what took you so long? And secondly, <laughs> what's the funniest engagement that you've had? Because you seem to engage with everybody on Twitter. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I really had no, I mean, I've had emails since it was invented. So, <laughs> but the fact is, I've never had a social media account. And I used to call it uh, face twit snapogram. And uh, 
I just had never done any of them. And then, so I've been working with some different writers around the country and, and helping them kind of understand this whole realignment thing. And a couple of them said, you got to get on Twitter because that's where this is all played out. And you wouldn't imagine how many experts there are there in the, the Twitter land. And so it actually coincided with the fact that I had at the end of May, uh, rotator cuff surgery on my shoulder and my bicep tendon. And so I could do nothing. I mean, I usually I've been retired since a long time, 2009. And I play golf four or five times a week. And that's, that's my gig. You know, that's what I do in the summers. I, we travel. Well, I had the rotator cuff surgery. So I had this giant sling on, I could move nowhere. I basically laid on a lounge chair, 18 <laughs> hours a day, uh, slept in it, did everything. And so I joined and it was, you know, it was just so funny to see how much misinformation that was out there. And you know, so I started weighing in, kind of dipped my toe in. At first, I didn't even have on my profile, I didn't even say what I used to be or what my job used to be. And then I got tired of people saying, you know, what the heck do you know? So I put it on there. And, you know, as people started going, hmm, well, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. So the all-time classic was, you know, we were weighing in about something about how much the Big Ten was going to make and, and what was going to happen to the other conferences and how all this worked. And this guy responds to me like, you know, well, who the heck are you? And how the, you know, H, do you know anything about this stuff? And so I, you know, I didn't do it snarkily, but I guess it might have come across that way. I said, well, I've done, let's see, I've done like three big eight, big 12 deals, a uh, uh, couple of big 10 deals, ACC basketball uh, Mountain West Conference, uh, you know, da 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 da, and a couple hundred professional rights deals with local teams or leagues. Oh, and the BCS. And the poor guy just got fried. I felt so bad for him. I, I, I apologized to him. I, I mean, the people are sending these, you know, I get what are they called? memes or gifts yes. or whatever they and yes, yes. you know the guy was just you I, I guess with twitter you get you get a l if you're like a loser or something and i felt so bad with the guy i sent him a direct message once i figured out how to do that and then he was he was fine he had apologized and everything but the poor they wouldn't leave the poor guy alone and i part of it was i pinned the tweet to my profile well, so anytime anybody looked at it, <laughs> And so finally, the guy sends me another message and says, you know, you've been great about this, but do you think you could take it down? Could you take the pin tweet down? I'd like, oh, absolutely. In a heartbeat. So I, I felt like, yeah, I thought that guy was going to change his name or something. And but I actually saw him the other day. He's back out there. So that was kind of funny. But it's been a it's been an interesting thing. I, I'm learning. I have to learn not to, you know just respond flippantly to anything. Uh, I see I'm, I'm doing a lot more responding privately than, you know, someone asks me a question on Twitter. I don't think everybody else needs to see about it. So I'll send them a direct message, something like that, but it can't take a lot of your time. And, you know, my shoulders better. I'm going to be out on the golf course here in about another month. So I may disappear as quickly as I appear. It's okay. Whatever. It's been quite a summer for yeah, you. Yeah, to it's into been interesting. Twitter. Right. <laughs> Bob, I can't thank you enough for all your time, your expertise, your your uh, good-natured patience with the uh, Twitterverse that's out there, uh, and also your you and I having the ability to reconnect after all these years. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It. I'm, I'm, my pleasure, and I'm glad you reached out to me. I, I wish everybody a, a great school year. Thank you. All right.